Welcome to Boomeranging, from expat to repat, a podcast that explores the question, what could be so hard about returning home after years living overseas? I'm your host, Margot Anderson, and in each episode, I will sit down with a former Aussie expat to discuss how they survived repatriation and reverse culture shock, how they navigated the logistics of careers, friends, and family to successfully find their new place at home, and all without losing their global spirit. If you have just returned home, are thinking about it, or just love a good yarn told by professional globetrotters, then I have no doubt you'll enjoy meeting this diverse group of Australians. In March 2020, the Australian government told any Aussie living overseas that if they could come home, they should. Many did, and many one year on are still trying to. While a lack of flights and closed international borders has been the main culprit, Packing up and leaving a life of 10 plus years is not easy. You have more than a backpack, often you have more than just you, and often you have significant work, financial and life commitments to unravel in another country that you have called home. Those who think it's easy have probably never done it. For Shane Masters, COVID marked his third attempt to come home with his family over many years. While it was third time lucky for Shane, he is acutely aware of how difficult many expats are finding it to come home and the strain this places on their mental health. Through the process, many feel abandoned and misunderstood by their own country. Whilst he was abroad, Shane started the Australia Day Games to help Aussie expats feel connected overseas and is now hoping to use it as a vehicle to help those with their mental health upon their return. As a passionate advocate for mental health awareness amongst the repat community, I am looking forward to hearing from Shane about the challenges current expats overseas are facing and what advice he could give others based on his recent experience. So welcome, Shane. Thanks, Margaret. Great to have you here. Where are we chatting with you today? I'm in the the great state of South Australia, where I I called home for most of my life, but um, I've only been back since, since last August, so I've been back nearly seven months. Great. And so are you in Adelaide or are you in the regions? No, in in Adelaide. In Adelaide, fantastic. So you embarked upon your overseas uh, journey um, quite young. I'm keen to hear kind of how that unfolded for you and um, were there early inspirations or things that sparked an interest for that pathway that unfolded? Yeah, it was. So I I grew up on a a very dry and drought-prone farm in far western Australia. So with seven kids in the family and the farm wasn't making much money for dad, there was no real opportunity to, to stick around and continue that, which I loved, I would have loved to have done. And mm-hmm. it was almost a race to get off the farm and to get out and, and, and see the world. So I think my mother um, lived vicariously through me and when I was 11, um, raised some money with one of the local church groups, sold a cow and sent me off to um, <laughs> Singapore and Spain on a Christian youth group. Great. So okay. At a very, very young, young age, I'd never been on a bus before. Yeah. And it was a two-hour bus ride from Western South Australia to Perth, and then flying on my first plane, which was a you know, Boeing seven four seven, where everyone would smoke. And off. Yeah. And I was <laughs> homesick for probably most of it, but came back, eyes wide open, and looking for the next chance of you know, can I? How do I go again? How can I? How can I go and do something? So that was the, the formative moment I think that that I had yeah and yeah never looked back 
Yeah, so incredible seeds to be planted. Um, and I guess for you, you then secured work overseas. Is that how you sort of set off um, originally or? Yeah, it was. So I had a couple of failed attempts um, early on. So after after year 12, I, I went and tried to do a gap year to use up my, my one, one shot UK visa. Um, oh, yeah. that, that didn't continue into work. So it only ended up being two months. Um, so came back after that. Um, then tried a uni exchange um, last year of commerce, um, went across to Sweden and, and did six months there and tried to do a startup at the same time. That didn't stick. Okay. Um, yeah. And so I'd used up all my immigration kind of bullets and free free passes <laughs> I thought I had. Yeah. Um, and then upon graduation, I wasn't top of my class. I, I graduated from, from law and commerce. It's, South Australia is great at producing graduates, but there aren't many jobs yeah um, around so it was either move to melbourne sydney or overseas and for me it was yeah, the same those options are pretty all pretty similar for me it was all foreign foreign cities so i ended up um going over to getting an unpaid internship in paris i spoke no french okay but the, the quota for australians um, for this particular internship was um and you could speak english um, so I fit the quota. I got in, and then when I was there, I just I reached out to um, a lot of Adelaide Uni grads that were in law firms in Europe and said, "Hey, I'm over here. Uh, love to work." And as a result of that, then managed to get paid a paid job in London, and that kind of went on. Um, that was my international career. So I couldn't get a job as a lawyer in Adelaide, but managed to somehow right place at the right time in London and Paris. Yeah, and clearly bucket loads of tenacity and persistence along the way. Um. <laughs> Look, when you've got nothing to go back to, it's it's kind of an easy decision. Yeah. Like if I had a if I had a phone to go back to or a business or a great job, which I had none of that, so it was you know, it, it made the decision making process very easy. Yeah. Um, so. So you worked in multiple countries throughout your time abroad, um, each move precipitated by the next career opportunity. Can you talk us through how that experience unfolded and I guess where it took you? Yeah, so um, so started off so, uh, as a lawyer in a law firm, so that was, that's a well-trodden path, I think, for a lot of, a lot of Australians. Well, yeah, yeah. I, I met a lot of Australians doing the same thing and usually mm -hmm. it's, UK, some people go to the US, but mostly UK, um, spend a couple of years there and then come home. Um, so I did a couple of years in, in, in London, financial crisis hit, um, went up for a couple of years with the same law firm in Sweden. Um, by then, had my first child, thought, okay, now it's time to get serious, come back to Australia. I could only get a job um, with the type of law that I was doing in Sydney. So moved back to Sydney yep. and that was the, I applied for a job. I've applied for one job outside of uni and actually got it, and that was it. I've had five or six roles since then, but never applied for a job because I think you posted something on, on LinkedIn a few weeks ago where the majority of jobs aren't advertised, and in my experience, mm. the best jobs definitely aren't advertised. So anyway, went back to Sydney. That was a disaster. Uh, I um, The type of work and teams that I was used to working in, it didn't translate at all to the type of stuff that yeah. I was expected to do in Sydney. So I got out of that and to unbecome a lawyer, I, I thought I'd have to study more. So I, I went to, I was looking at MBAs. By then I was 30 years old, so I was, I, I was told I was too old for a normal MBA. 
but I then that created this great thing called an executive MBA for people who um, are doing later stage career changes. So um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was it was cheaper to do a an executive MBA at the one of the top European business schools than it was at Sydney Uni at the time. It's ironical, isn't the it? Australian yeah. dollar was super strong, and so I ended up studying um, in in Europe at a great great business school. Got got my executive MBA and. Um, couldn't get a job back in Australia because, again, it was a European MBA, so it was more attractive to, to European companies. And then when I started applying for European companies, they said, well, we don't really recognise MBAs. You should go and talk to American companies, <laughs> which I did. And ended yeah. up moving to California and worked in an um, uh, investment fund there for three years. So three years in California, mm-hmm. um, which was great, great fun. Um, Trump was elected and was making lots of noises about, you know, immigrants leave. Um, and at that time, I thought, okay, great. Well, um, maybe it is time to leave. So we. By then, I had, I've, I've got three, had three kids, and I thought, look, maybe this is the time to come back to Australia. I've now got my MBA, got some, you know, European, US experience, and so instead of applying for jobs, I thought, look, I'll. I'll I'll, I'll be a bit more intelligent about this. I'll fly back and I'll I'll do a tour of all the people in my space where I want to work and I'll meet with them, tell them my story and you know see if they've got any roles available over the next six months. And mm-hmm. that that resulted in one offer after the, six months later, and the offer was for two thirds of my salary that I was getting in Sydney six years prior. So right. again, and that was basically like, look, we don't know you. Um, interesting, but you're going to have to come in as an entry and entry level and work your way up. Entry level, wow. We don't know who you are, and you know, MBA, whatever. Like, you still have to prove yourself, mm-hmm. like everyone else. So, mm-hmm. ended up getting an offer for double the double the, the package in in, in Europe. Um, so, I ended up going from California back to Europe, where I worked for three years um, in Europe. And then after those three years, so this was last last year in uh, well, yeah, in twenty twenty twenty, um, the Europeans are like this is great. Um, how did you want to move to the US and set up our operations in the US? Because you've worked there before. Um, yeah. I said, well, guys, actually, I'd like to move back to Australia and set up your operations in Australia and cover Asia Pacific. And um, their view was that look, Australia and Southeast Asia is just too small. And the yeah, right. US was their focus. So yep. I ended up um, coming back for a holiday and my plan was, look, I'll go to the US, I'll save enough money, get enough experience that even if I can't come back with this group to Australia in three years' time, I'll have enough money to either fund myself for a year because that, that's mm-hmm. the experience of a lot of, lot of my mates that have come back to Australia. Yeah, I'll fund myself for a year. Or hopefully I would have spent those three years building bridges, creating a community, a support network in Australia, in the area that I wanted to move into. That would Mm. give me a soft landing or hopefully create an opportunity for me to come back into. So it was a – so I I did a family family trip back to to, uh, Australia. This was in um, 2019 and – I spent half of that time speaking at conferences, meeting with people in in the industry, from government, from private sector, um, you know, startups, companies, all sorts of people in the ecosystem. And it wasn't 
hey, I'm coming back and I'm going to get it. I'd like to work here in six months, which was my other strategy that didn't really work. Um, I said, hey, guys, look, I'm going to move to the US. I'm going to be there for a couple of years. This is what I'm going to be doing. How can I add value or, you know, help you guys? I'm going to be there. I'd love to, you know, create you know, this network. And, and then in four or five years, I'd love to come back. Um, that's the long-term plan. So there wasn't any pressure on those conversations. How were they received? Curious, because it's like, hey, you know, you're you're from the state, you're local, and mm. you know, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of difficulty of people where if you're, you're coming back to Australia and you're moving to a part of Australia where you don't have family or you don't have a you, know, you don't come from that part of the part of the country, everyone's a bit bit nervous about, well, hang on, you know, why are you here? Mm. You know, explain. There's some there's some alternative reason. Yeah, so um, oh no, that, that was that was really good. Um, and one of the one of the people that I met with um, shared with me a couple of months after I went back to Europe. Um, look, there's this government review going on about the industry. They're asking for public comment. Um, and hey, Shane, maybe you've got some ideas on on how to, how you know Australia could nice. evolve in this particular industry, which is the ag, ag tech finance space. So mm-hmm. I wrote my little paper and no one saw it, but um, I sent that paper to some of the people that I've been meeting with and, you know, that paper then got shared with other some other people mm. and in the end when I was about to go to the US, I got a call from, from a group here in Australia saying, hey, actually, we're, we're looking to hire and set up a local team in South Australia. You're from South Australia. Mm. Yeah. Do, you, do you want to be a part of it? So... Um, Fantastic. I yeah, I love your um yeah, the variety of attempts that you made in terms of the different experiences that you had and just how I mean, I think the challenge so many face is it's the time that it takes. You know, it, the time that it takes to build those networks and to have those conversations and to see things unfold. So I think the preparation and the planning um, piece from abroad is really, really insightful that you that you undertook. Yeah, I mean, I, the way I look at it, it's, it's very easy to get on a plane. Well, okay, it's not now, but it used to be very easy to get on a plane yeah, and go yeah. somewhere. <laughs> um, it's a little bit more difficult to stay there. Yeah. And it's really difficult to come home. Yeah. And that yeah. kind of, you know, it's like, hey, if I can get a job in Paris or some country I don't even speak the language, I should be able to easily get a job when I come back to Australia. And it's like, yeah, no, it's not how it works. Um, well, I mean, it works for some people if you're really specialised and your skills are in demand. But um, having that community or network that can, you know, pull you back in, that's, it's, it's, it takes a lot of time and you don't know who's going to be the one who's going to help which is why it's a lot of you know, you're knocking on a lot of doors. Yeah, and being open to the conversations when they arise. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now, um, I'm keen to come back to a couple of those learnings um, in, in a little bit later in our, in our chat, but during your time abroad, you actually also founded the Australia Day Games. Can you tell us a little bit about the, the purpose and the ethos behind that? Yeah, so look, I mean, everyone has Australia Day games in Australia. Um, uh, but yeah. the, the idea started, look, the, the, the idea behind it now is, is basically it's, a, it's a, a community that I'm trying to grow. It's very small. It's me and a couple of mates. 
um, yeah. which is basically being there for each other and using this, you know, an event once a year whenever it's being held because overseas it's not really great to be holding it in January. Um, so no. like, <laughs> our, our, our model is Australia Days every day when you're overseas. And yeah. it's a yeah, it's a, it's a way for um, us to kind of help the people still overseas or those repats coming back to have an event that we kind of get around mm -hmm. and you know, help each other. And mm -hmm. you know, underlying that mm -hmm. is, and you don't talk about it, but you know, it's it's mental health for me, um, and certainly for a lot of the other, some of the other guys that get involved in it. It's a it's a way of you know being a part of that club or sport or team activity that. It's really difficult to do um, in countries where they don't play footy. Yeah, um, I played footy in Stockholm, and we had that team, and it was great fun. You can integrate into a community really quickly and get that support network in a country that's far away from home. Mm -hmm. um, but in France, that wasn't the case. In rural California, you know, it just wasn't an option. So this is a—it's an event that we've—it you know, it goes for a day, you know, the entire day. It's usually ten to twenty people involved. You're representing your, your country or your cause, um, and you run through the classic Australia Day games, which is you, know, you have a, a fun throw, yeah. two up, bowling at the stump, inflatable shark toss. We had the, um, the kangaroo shoot a couple of years. That was that was a lot of fun. Um, and Great. So it's just it's a celebration of being Australian, and. And in America, they love. They, they, they kind of took it to another level. Um, yeah. The French had their twist on it. And, but it all started in Sweden, you know, in a very dark, cold January day um, where we were, you know, there were 15 of us running around uh, downtown Stockholm Park um, in our national colours, <laughs> throwing, throwing inflatable sharks. Great. So having a bit of fun and, and a, a, I guess, a channel to bring people together and connect. I mean, it is that yeah. connection, isn't it, you know, and providing the, the space for those conversations. Um, now, you returned mid-year last year, so mid-pandemic. What sort of logistics did you face just to physically get home? Because that's a massive challenge for people at the moment or have they, they're just coming through that challenge. Yeah, and I, I suspect my story isn't as um, painful as a lot of other people because we were, we were living in France at the time, so I thought it would be relatively straightforward to get a flight from France, uh, which is one of the biggest airports in, in Europe. Um, basically, it was impossible to do that for the five months we were trying to get out. Um, the Australian embassy was absolutely useless. They said, look, you're going to have to go to go catch a Qantas flight out of London. We think they're still flying there, but we don't really know who's, you know, we don't control the airlines. Um, and the problem with going to London was they were making French people quarantine in the UK for a couple of weeks. So you had to do the quarantine, mm -hmm. pay for it, and then if someone catches it, then you miss the entire flight. There's five of us flying back. So... Mm. Um, then we ended up booking with Air France on a couple of flights. Um, they ended up being cancelled because Singapore wouldn't allow Air France to transit through Singapore. Um, and the worst of, I think it was probably by June, we had $52,000 on my credit card on different flights that may or may not be <laughs> extraordinary. refunded. So we were choosing our airlines by which governments we thought would bail them out. Um, and in the end, um, so it was Qatar and, Sing uh, Qatar and Singapore Airlines were the ones that we had options on, so bought tickets. 
And then Qatar said, look, sorry, you're going to have to upgrade to business class. And, you know, even then we can't guarantee it because they had the 30-person cap into Sydney. Um, mm-hmm. So that increased, doubled the price of the flights that we were buying. And then um, yeah. and then Singapore Airlines did exactly the same. We booked economy. And then by the time, you know, it was two days out, they said, look, if you want to guarantee your, your, your plane flight from, uh, from Singapore to Adelaide, you're going to have to upgrade to, to business class. So, yeah, there was, a, there was a lot of costs involved. And then the, the, the most nervous, nervous part of it was because Singapore wouldn't fly out of France because France, COVID was out of control compared to other countries. So we had to catch a train up to Amsterdam. And the day before our train, um, the Belgians, I think, were on strike because the rail was too hot, so they wouldn't let the trains go through. And so we were yeah. having, like, okay, we're going to have a backup car and drive to Amsterdam, get on the plane, hopefully no one's got sick or a fever, fly to Singapore. We had to stay in the Singapore um, air, airport for, um, what was it, you know, 38 hours, and if it was any longer than that, they wouldn't let us stay in the airport. We got tested. Luckily, none of us had a yeah. fever, and we managed to get into Adelaide and then into the quarantine, which... Um, yeah, so it was. It was a. There was a lot of things that could have gone wrong, and there's a lot of people where that has gone yeah. wrong. And when you get cancelled and bumped off flights, yeah, you buy another one, then it's three months before you get refunded. Yeah, so it's a huge, yeah, stress and financial and yeah, just timing of everything. So, well, it's it. Hey, I mean, firstly, obviously, it's a fi- it's a financial cost. Um, stress costs are extraordinary, but the emotional cost and the emotional stress is enormous because you can very easily find yourself displaced in a country that you haven't been living in, up for hotel costs, not knowing when you're next going to fly. And I think that the stories that we're hearing is is just like almost like the aftershock or the trauma that's coming out after all of that because you've been living on tender hooks for six, seven months trying to actually physically get home and then you get home and it's like, whew, and now you then start the challenge of repatriation. Um, and so it's an, a complicated and layered transition that I think is just extraordinary at the moment. Um, yeah. yeah. And so what do you say to people who say, well, look, the government told you to get home last year or last March. If you didn't, that's your problem. Because we're hearing that rhetoric in the media here and it's quite harsh and cruel, um, especially when you've navigated all of those challenges to firstly get home or you're stuck, you know, you're stuck overseas. Look, they, the, the, I think the comments from the government were, I, I hope they were aimed at the people who were holidaying saying, hey, guys, look, you got to come back. But if you're working over there, I mean, they, in, in a way it's, you know, I, I don't think they, they were encouraging people to stay, but having Australians overseas, we are an export-based economy. We need as many people overseas. And this whole shock to, hey, expats, yeah. we don't want you back. And so if I was thinking of going overseas, and I was borderline, I, I wouldn't be doing it because it's like, well, hang on, what happens? I go to London for six to 12 months and I can't come back home or I'm stuck or it's going to cost me 20 grand to get back. You just don't go. So that's a huge, you know, and to your point, like what are the ramifications of that going to be for Australia in terms of our international networks? Hopefully, I think that just means people overseas are going mm-hmm. to become even more important and certainly Australians. Um but yeah, look, the government's the government's role isn't 
to pander to self-interest, which everyone, I mean, as an Australian here, I can I totally understand why you'd say, close the border, shut it down. That's my interest is I don't want that coming in. And then as an expat stuck overseas, I mean, it's outrageous that as an Australian, I couldn't get back home. I mean, this is the most difficult time to get back home since World War II, and we couldn't get back home. Yeah. Um, and... But yeah, I, I, you know, look, it's the government's role to act in on behalf of every Australian and the fact that, you know, part of being Australian is that we all have the right to come back whenever we want. Now, to go away and to come back again, look, that's, that's, a, different, that's a different scenario, but it's, you know, to basically be priced out of, the, out, of, out of Australia where it was only, you could, there was one point in time, I don't know if it's still the case, where you could only fly back essentially first class and it was like, you, know, you can come back if you're rich, but if you don't have the money, you can't come back. Yeah. And you know, when I arrived in Adelaide and I was looking at all the passports in people's hands lining up to get through immigration, there was not one Australian passport. Yeah, it can feel very cruel, can't it, when you're on the, on the, um, on the other side um, and trying desperately to do so. And I, I guess that's, you know, as we say, that's what plays into the challenges that go with the mental health side of navigating this type of transition because we're not just moving a career, we're moving a life we're moving families, we're moving, you know, like it's so all-encompassing. Mm. Are you hearing much from your connections overseas about how they're managing that and what is working for them or how they're managing their mental health through this time? Look, having what, what's, what's been really helpful to um, the people that I was, uh, that, that, is, that are still in Europe that I was good friends with is having a local support network. So, you know, whether it be a couple of Aussies or expats that are in a similar, you know, you're not a local and being able to catch up with those guys on a semi-regular when quarantine allows it. But it's, yeah, it's it's really difficult and to the point where some of them who were trying to get back, I mean, you know, you have deaths in families. You know, one of the guys, um, mother was in the, the, the Melbourne nursing homes that was the first to be hit and he couldn't get back. And it's just you know, heartbreaking stories of those people where you couldn't get back if, if had you been there, she may have lived. And, you know, um, it's, a, it's a big weight to bear. And then how do you deal with mm-hmm. that with the mental health? You, know, you can pick up the phone and speak to someone back, back in Australia, but it's not enough. No. And to be able to go and you know, talk in person with your mates, with people, um, it's absolutely critical. And if you don't have that, what do you do? So I think that's that's part of the yeah, it's hard. the dilemma yeah. of, or the dark side of being an expat is you're alone and you need to get you need to get a group of people that you can either you know go play sport with, catch up for a coffee or a beer because if you mm. don't have that, yeah, that mm. that loneliness can yeah. just be a cancer that eats and eats and really really difficult. And it contributes to that sense of isolation, like further and further along, doesn't it? It's it's just so hard. It's so hard. So historically, you can get get on a plane and fly back, right? Yes. There was always yes. that possibility. Now, you never press the button, and some people don't necessarily want to come back to Australia. They've got great lives overseas. But, you know, if if shit hit the fan, you could fly back, and there was mm-hmm. always that, that backup plan. And then when yeah. you, that gets taken away, and then it gets taken away, and you start to read and hear stories of actually, no, we don't want you back. Yeah. You decided to go overseas. You're having a great life. So, you know, suck it up. 
Yeah, um, yeah. And it's like, well, hang on, who, who am I? I'm, I'm Australian, yeah. you guys don't want me. Am I some kind of in-between where it's that's, – that's really difficult to deal with. Yeah, it is. And, I mean, it's that sense of, like, where do I belong? Where do I fit? And that's a big question. It's a huge question. So um, – and where do I want to? Mm. Yeah, but, and that's where the expat repat community, I think, having gone through this event and still going through it, you know, hopefully there'll be things that come out of it where, you know, there's a, there's a couple of organisations that do try and give a voice to, you know, Australians abroad. Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's not much out there. So hopefully as a result of this, we get a bit more of a, hey, we're full being through this. This is really mm-hmm. tough. And mm-hmm. even coming back, it's not, a, it's sometimes in a way it's even more difficult to come back and reintegrate or repatriate oh, to go overseas. So yeah, you know, that's, yeah. Let's see what comes out. Yeah, and I think it's knowing that you are not alone in that journey because you do question yourself and your identity and your capability and all those things because you think, hang on a minute, I've just had this extraordinary life and this extraordinary experience. Like, why can't I work this out? You know, am I the only one that can't do it? And I think it's a really important message to say you're not alone. Repatriation is very difficult and overlay the current circumstances, it's another layer to that difficulty. So, you know, reach out and connect. It's really, really important. So, yeah. As we shared in your intro and you alluded to just before, you know, you took three attempts to get home. Um, You took three very different, I suppose, approaches in a nutshell, what would be your core advice for those people who are sitting offshore at the moment um, looking to repatriate for the first time? How would you summarise the efforts that they should go to? You don't apply for a job because <laughs> if, apply- if you're applying for a job, <laughs> chances are it's going to be right. I mean, look, there are some unique positions out there and if you have those right skill set and fantastic, you can get it. And maybe mm-hmm. that's in the, you know, the, the C-suite specialist roles. But... Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, have a, start start reaching out and trying to create value for people in the ecosystem that you'd like to move back into, and and do it from where you're mm. at. And now is now is the prime time to do it because if if you're overseas, yeah, yeah, you, you've got physically you've got a, a competitive advantage for a lot of Australian businesses. And, owners where they would have usually gone on a plane to go and do stuff and if you're over there and you can help in the bounds of, of your current role or outside of it, um, you know that's that's there's a huge value for expats at the moment that I think the you know, Australian businesses aren't tapping into it's what I'm trying to do in my role now but it's yeah. it's create value now and even, you know, I, I, I didn't think that I'd move back to Australia. I wasn't planning to. It was really the, as my, the age of my kids coming through and um, for their schooling, that was a factor for me. Yeah. Um, but I wasn't planning for it. And it was only like the third time where I was like, I can't afford to wipe out on the third time because that's going to cost me a year or two years of, of no salary. Um, right, kind of plan a plan a bit ahead so there's there's ways to i think i think the, the networks that you've got are the perfect vehicle for people to start to soft sound and say hey look you know how can i help people back home because one day i might be coming back home as well um yeah so yeah yeah engage early it's so important um and i think it really does catch us by surprise and look there's there's multiple factors it's a much smaller market here we can't change that you know so you have to work out how you how you navigate that small market when you're not 
here or you're or you don't have a presence here because you've been away for so long um now you've returned to Adelaide with your family you've got three kids as you said um how have you collectively managed you know this transition and have there been things I guess that you've had to be mindful of for each member of the family um, yeah it's it's brutal um and I'm 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 lucky that I did it now rather than wait another three years as I was planning because yeah you know, the, the moves today had been, you know, the kids have been pretty young. You know, the oldest was seven years when we moved last and then three. And you can kind of get away with it at that age where the only people that are really hurting are the adults because you, know, you don't talk about it. When you move kids, move school in their, you know, early teens, it's really difficult. But, mm. yeah, it's, it's yeah. even more difficult when you're an adult and you're moving countries. So it's exactly the same. But yeah, it's it, this 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 move's been been particularly difficult, um, and I think the way the way we've integrated in the past and having kids is, is I think much easier for people to reintegrate than people who don't have kids. Yeah, because if you don't have kids with with kids, wherever you go, they're into school, and you kind of get some automatic social network through through children, which is uh, can be great um, and routine. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. No, exactly. So it's look, schools. Schools is critical in getting into you know, schools where it works. And um, but I think uh, my my strategy today, and we're only six to seven months into it, is to do the things that you can't do in the country where we came from, mm. which is walk outside without a mask on, um, spend a lot of time beaches surfing, all that type of stuff. So yeah, that, yeah. that's. That's where I don't want them comparing the experience we're having here with where we came from, like for yeah. like. It's like do things you just can't do, play sports you can't can't play in other countries. So there's a, but we'll see. Yeah. Now they were all born overseas. I'm interested as to how what how they regard themselves as Australian, or you know, do they? I mean, it's such an interesting thing because we talk about coming home, but for kids who've been born overseas or who have spent the majority of their lives overseas, you know that that's not that's not necessarily their their experience. Home is not necessarily Australia. No, so it, it's interesting. My when when we're in Europe, um, you know, there are, um, my son had never been to Australia. He was six years old, mm. so just through being back, but, but he had been back, and and he was the proudest of all to say he was Australian yeah. and he'd tell everyone <laughs> and, you know, he had his passport, but he'd never been. And um, so coming back here. I think the thing that's the thing that's been the most difficult for them in terms of, of course, they see them as Australian, so as Australian. Yep. Um, yep. However, their accents are so messed up, and I've lost some of my accent as well, which, which is which is confusing for for some people. But every time someone talks to them, and that for some reason they have American accents. I mean, we spent three years in California, but it was during that period of their life where they started talking a lot, and that's the accent yeah. that, that stuck with them. So. Um, every time they meet with someone new at school or in, in anywhere, it's like, where are you from? Where are you from? Yeah. And yeah, so that's 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 a question that they keep getting asked, and and that's you know, so for them, it's a constant reminder of, hey, you're not from here, because where's yeah. your accent? It's not it's not a negative thing, but that's just a curiosity. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a it, it'll be interesting to see kind of how that progresses, but they they see themselves as Australian, but you know, only now we're just starting to be Australian. 
Yeah. I mean, I started my career as a teacher and I spent a bit of time in the international schools and schools in, in the UK and I, you never used to cease to amaze me. And it wasn't just Australian kids. It could have been Canadian or, you know, from wherever. But they'd proudly hold these passports, but they'd never actually necessarily lived there. But they had grown up celebrating the, mild, you know, the occasions of being Australian, whether that was Australia Day or Anzac Day or whatever. So they, they had a very different lens as to how they perceived themselves as Australian, I guess. So... Yeah, and it's, it's a good it's a good point about celebrating you know who you are because um, the Australia days that these these parties events that were you know, day long things when I came back to Australia in Sydney for for those two years we never did it in Sydney yeah and it was frowned upon because at the time there were the Cronulla riots so having an Australian flag you were racist now when I came back everyone's like whoa Australia Day no no you can't celebrate that that's it's really poor form and I'm like so it's it's when you're overseas and I missed all of that so mm. overseas you can Americans have the July 4th the French you know 14 where they have these massive national days of flag waving and celebrating whatever it is you know the, the areas of, of those particular countries and so coming back here this year and it's like well you know look, we, I've, I've never held it on australia day the actual date and i always forget what date it is as well um <laughs> but it's kind of end of january ish um, yeah on, on yep. a saturday um so that's that's We'd hold it in summers and winters, but yeah, it's um, yeah, it's it's a bit of a strange thing to have, you know, feeling embarrassed to celebrate your national your national day. It's like I'm any country in the world that that, we're, that, that that's where we're at at the moment in Australia. So that's a strange. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Are the Australia Day games for re- the repats? Are you hoping that that will grow from here? Like this is something that you'd like to foster? Yeah, it's look. If anything, it's more of a uh, look. I, I've used it to when, when when you're going overseas or you're going into a new country or a new community. It's uh, there's a lot of stereotypes about Australians, which mm. um, well, in the countries that I went to were all pretty good. Americans mm-hmm. had the shrimp on the Barbie, uh, all sorts. Yeah, of, yeah. You know, Foster's usually plays into that a bit. So, um, look, it was it was a way to create. Uh, uh, a community, a local community around that event, and it was sometimes there were no Australians. It was just me, um, but it was it was a great little event that I used to you know, get quickly quickly up to speed, like a, a community. So I'm hoping that you know this can be used as a you know, tool or a way for expats when you're going overseas to do something that can kind of you can get. Uh, a quick trust and, and and build that local community, but then also for repats when we're coming back, it's like, well, you know, we don't have the, well, I don't have the cultural cringe of celebrating being Australian. So um, it was interesting when I, when I held it this year, which is the first time um, we've done it in Australia. Um, when I was asking, you know, friends of my long-term friends, hey, this is what I've done overseas. Do you want to do it here? They didn't want to do it. Right. And it was like, no, nah, look, I don't. Whether it was because it was, you know, the, the, the questions around Australia Day itself, or you know, we just don't do that. You, know, you might have yeah. a triple J or, or go to the beach, mm. but it wasn't anything like America or France or, or even Sweden. So what ended up happening is a lot of the people that came to this year were expats who had played sports overseas and were like, yeah, this is a great idea, and I'd love to have yep. done that. You know, when I was in Singapore or Southeast Asia. So look, it's 
we'll see how it goes. I think you know if one one of my mates who is in the TV industry is like, look, we should make this like the CrossFit Games or the Unfit Games, and this could be so much fun. <laughs> and, yeah. yeah, I think it'll stay very very small, and maybe it's just you know my network and mates, but we wanted to kind of make it a bit more available to. Yeah. If people are interested, how do they find out about you or where can they go to find some information about, about the group? Yeah, so we've got uh, probably on Instagram or, or just on the website, I think, there. You can kind of Google Australia Day Games. In there. Um, but, yeah, it's, hopefully it's, it's, a, it's, it's a way, well, certainly for me, because I, I, I have strong feelings about expats and, and us being forgotten or you know the the leftovers of, of covid which wasn't yeah just for a lot of a lot of australians and it's like well rather than you know whinge about it what can i do and it's like well i'm sending over packs of australian stuff to aussie expats and whether they do a games or not it's not the point but just it's like Get together. Hey, we're, here, we're thinking about you yeah yeah and you know, celebrate what it is we still care about you that's that's the idea yeah, great. We will make a point of putting the details onto the show notes so people can also access it that way and they can they can find it there. Now, um, Shane, we finish all of our uh, interviews or chats with five quick questions, so I'd love to put those to you now. It's just simply a word or phrase that comes to mind. Living overseas opened my eyes to? It's okay to be Australian. It was okay to celebrate being Australian. Um, like when I, when I started off in, in London, there was, I don't know, I was, I was almost embarrassed of, of being Australian because in the, the law firm that I was working in, you know, the lowest of low were the Australians that worked the hardest, but you never make a partner. So, um, yeah, okay. Yeah, I think, you know, towards the end of my time overseas, I'm super proud and you know, love being Fantastic. Australian. So, I think, yeah, go over, being overseas, it's okay to celebrate being Australian um, and hopefully we'll, we'll uh, keep doing it here in Australia. So. Fabulous. Uh, expats are good for? Look, I'm, I'm working with a lot of startups and tech companies and, and I think you know, if you're an expat, you're, a, you're a, um, perfect for a founder, entrepreneur, startup because you've taken huge risks. They're calculated and I think putting, you know, yourself out there i mean that's that's exactly what you want to have to, in the entrepreneurial you know founder mindset so i think startups if you're not in, if you're an expat and you're not involved in startups or helping one like um yeah get involved love it we might have to have a second interview i think or a second chat that's a whole area that is amazing so yeah the best thing i have discovered since arriving home um <laughs> the beer <laughs> There is more beer. I mean, there's a there's a craft brewer in every corner, and I I mean, it's just it is impossible to try all the beers that, that exist, which is amazing. So, you know, last time I came back, I think Pure Blonde was out, and that was a big revolution, and that was it. The new beer was a Pure Blonde and the low you know, low, low carb beers, and yeah. now there's just I mean, there are thousands of beers. So that's that's pretty exciting to be. Yeah, micro breweries. Yeah, the first thing I'd encourage a new repat to do is. Act as though you know, how you succeeded when you moved overseas um, mm -hmm. to create that community and networks and go out and have coffees and get yourself out there um, mm -hmm. is usually what most people do. Join a club, whatever. I mean, you've got to do exactly that 
back here and just because it's home or it's Australia or it, it doesn't don't I, I wouldn't treat it any different because otherwise you get six 12 months in and go where where's my where's my friends where's my networks you can't yeah. rely on those that you grew up with or went to school hopefully you can and they're around but um yeah actors that do exactly what work for you overseas and try and do it here yeah connect a word song or quote that best describes my time overseas is uh, look, my, my favourite song about Australians overseas is Paul Kelly's Every City. It's hilarious. Um, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's our anthem, I think, for all expats, <laughs> people that have travelled around Europe. Absolutely. Excellent. Great. Oh, Shane, I've really enjoyed our conversation today and I thank you for your time and I think Australia should be delighted to welcome home uh, repats such as yourself um, with the experiences, the knowledge and the networks. So it's all there to play for. Thank you. Excellent. Thanks, Margaret. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review, share it with your friends and family and subscribe for future episodes. For more information on our guests, please head to our website, InSyncNetworkGroup.com, where you can check out the show notes and also find more information about our fabulous community and membership offerings.